Some days are terrible. You wish that you were dead, and some days are magical, like grape banana bread. Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads. The voices in our heads. Hello, everyone. Congratulations on not killing yourself. Welcome to the voices in our buttholes. I mean heads. I'm Christina Hutchinson. Happy to be here. I'm glad you're well. I, that's an assumption. You might not be doing well. But if you're listening to a podcast, well, no, that doesn't mean shit. <laughs> I've listened to many podcasts. So I'm like, someone keep me off the knife. And if that's why you're listening, I'm happy to be that voice, baby boy, baby girl, baby thems and days. Man, I, I don't usually burn myself on stuff. But... And I'm talking like literally burn, not like, ooh, sick burn, like an insult. I'm talking like literally putting a hot coal on your skin, like that kind of burn. And over the weekend, I burned myself twice in one day pretty severely for just a cash burn. The first time I was perfecting my curls with a curling iron, I have a little tiny little quarter inch curling iron that I use. Because sometimes if I sleep in my curls, they look like... <laughs> So I want to fix them a little. Just like I do with my mind and my attitude. You got to fix it. If it looks fucked up, you fix it. So I wanted to, because I had to go on stage. And so I was fixing it. And then I pressed the hot curling iron against my neck. And it took me about two seconds. Two entirely full seconds to realize that there was a piping hot curling iron on the skin of my neck burning it off and you know you would think because the neck's a little closer to your brain that the whole pain thing has a shorter way to travel to your head but uh yeah that curling iron stayed on my neck for a good two seconds and I was like ooh. and then I got mad at the curling iron <laughs> burning me even though I was holding it this is the story of my fucking life guys so I I unplugged it and I I got pissed and I threw it in the bathtub of this hotel room. And then I was like, why did I do that? And I went and I, I plugged it back in because I wasn't done doing my hair. And then later that day, Kurt and I were out to dinner. And we ordered a part of our order was an appetizer of queso that was served in a skillet with no pot holder around the handle of the skillet. And my fucking ass goes to take a chip and soak it in some greasy cheese and the very, the smoothest part of my body, ugh, I love, is my inner arm, my forearm, but the inner part is so smooth. And it's just like the, and the bottom of my boob, the skin is like the smoothest out of everywhere on my body. Those are the two smoothest places of my skin. And I just, I sometimes, it's so smooth that I'll just be like hanging out by myself and I'll just like rub my arm. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so soft. So anyway, that soft, beautiful, angelic part of my arm got burnt on a skillet full of queso. And I was like, well, God damn it. And I got mad, but I couldn't throw the skillet because one, that would have hurt somebody. Two, I'm an adult person. Three, there's people around, so I couldn't do it. I would have been embarrassed. You know, I wasn't in a safe space. And so I didn't, but I did say fuck out loud a lot. And I was like, I hope the people of Kansas City hear me. That was a, Those were great shows. We'll get to that in a second. Speaking of shows... This burnt bitch is going to be, I got two shows that I'm hosting. I mean, I'm, I'm performing all the time in New York City. 
But specifically, Justin Silver and I have We're Not Banging, our monthly comedy show. And holy hell, the last month was absolutely incredible. The lineup, I we book people that we want to see. And it was the best lineup I've ever witnessed. <laughs> and this round, we have two shows, Wednesday, May 26th, 7.30 and 9.30 p.m. We're Not Banging at the Stand Comedy Club, 16th Street. Gorgeous fucking comedy club. Dave Chappelle's always there. And the thing is, he, oh, if he's going to be there, <laughs> I could see him wanting to be there on the night of our show and then taking it because, you know, it's Dave Chappelle. He fucking, he, he's not like, give me your show, asshole. Give me your room and let me do it. He's not like that at all. But, you know, if he wants to do an hour, it's Dave Chappelle. He's one of the greatest living comedians. You let him do it. So, but if he does want to do the late show and we're not banging, then I'll just be like, okay, Mr. Chappelle, but can I, can I hang out with you or something? I don't want to do stand-up on his show because if you're going to see Chappelle, the last person you want to see there is me. Like, do stand-up. Like, any comic that's not Chappelle that does a stand-up, that does a stand-up set on a show that Chappelle is headlining, it's like, hurry up. Not really, but kind of. Well, you know what? No, I take all that back. I would have that in my head. That probably wouldn't be the case, but I self-sabotage, so what are you going to do? Hey, I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm still reading books. Guys, we're going to let go this episode, and I'm really fucking excited about it. Also, Buffalo, New York, July 17th. I wrote July 17th through July 18th. Now, that can't be right, Christina. I don't think that you got that right. It's July... No. July 15th to the 18th. You stupid whore! No means no! Tell that to Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. It's anyway, it's July 15th to the 18th. Uh, Buffalo, New York, Corinne Fisher and I are going to be at Helium for six shows total. And we're, I'm bringing the dog and I'm bringing my goddamn motherfucking Mustang. I'll get to that later. But holy hell. That car... I mean, your girl loves cars. I am so... Oh, my God. I feel like I'm in love with a with a man. Like, I'm, like, falling in love with a really great person who's, like, you know, a good, actually a good match for me and, like, you know, pulls his own weight and stuff and, like, is very special on his own. Like, that, you know, for once. And... But it's a car. But I have a car. <laughs> but it feels like... I feel giddy like I'm in love. But it's with me because I bought this car. <laughs> I leased it, but I leased a bot, so go fuck yourself. No. no All right, shut up. No, no, no. Tell that to Bill Clinton. Uh, today, today was a wild day for me. I got up at 9.45 a.m., a.k.a. the ass crack of dawn for a stand-up comedian. And I really love whenever I have a thing in my schedule for the week that's like multiple days where I, it forces me to get up at the ass crack of dawn, 9.45 a.m. I had my second transcendental meditation class at the David Lynch Foundation, and it was really lovely. I got my mantra yesterday. I had a one-on-one session. The woman who, who uh, taught it, because you, if you want to do transcendental meditation, you need to get a mantra from a certified trainer. And it's a sliding scale of a payment system. I mentioned this before, but the David Lynch Foundation has this really beautiful program where if you have experienced sexual assault, um, you can enroll and take a four-day class to learn Transcendental Meditation. All it is is four days, but it's only an hour a day, so it's it's really not that big of a time commitment. It's just consistency. And then you have unlimited, you know, access to one-on-one, you know, other stuff. You have unlimited access to the foundation, to the resources that they offer. 
Um, but if you've experienced sexual assault, you can do the program for free. Uh, other than that, there is a sliding scale that's based on your income. They do not check it. So if you a broke bitch, that's okay. Because you're not going to be a broke bitch forever. But you can be a broke bitch who ha- knows how to do transcendental meditation. And you're going to get a little mantra, okay? You you don't say the mantra. You don't tell anybody. And at first, I'm like, oh, shit, I got to keep a secret. I don't know. Yeah. Can I keep a secret? No. Yeah, I know I can't, Jeffrey Epstein. Go fuck yourself. No. Oh, my God, he keeps talking. I don't know why I'm saying Jeffrey Epstein. But I, I got my mantra, and it was such a beautiful little ceremony that we did, and it, I really enjoyed it. But anyway, the end of the day, yesterday, I forgot what the mantra was, and I didn't write it down because one of the things about transcendental meditation is you don't try. It's one of the most effortless forms of meditation. But I got to say, I did it for the first time yesterday when I got my mantra, and I felt like a goddamn brand new goddamn woman. Holy hell. I will also say that as I was doing it, I felt myself get my period. And if you have a uterus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I felt little cramps coming on, and I was like, here we go. Here we go. Yep. No, it's happening. Damn it. Did I bring anything? No. Is Am I wearing a very thin thong? Yeah, I am. Did I know I was going to get my period soon? Absolutely. Did I prep? <laughs> did I did I prep? No. No, I didn't. I didn't prep. So that was a little distracting. But other than that, I really enjoyed the meditation. And then today I came back. I woke up at the ass crack of dawn, 9.45 a.m. And I had it. Oh, here's the other thing. I had it on my calendar that this class, it was just three people and the instructor I had it on my calendar that it started at 1045. It actually started at 1030. And your girl has anxiety about being late. Why? Because when I went to Marymount Manhattan College, where I got my BFA in acting, thank you so much, uh, my first ever professor in New York City at Marymount Manhattan uh, would scream at you if you were one minute late to class. She would fucking scream at you to the point where you're like, is she going to kill us? Like she got... Real fucking mad. But at the time, I didn't know to question authority and I wasn't like, I just wanted to make everybody happy. So I was like, oh my God, we're huge pieces of shit, I guess, for being a minute late. Like, I didn't get it. And she would always scream at us. If you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're fired. And so that's been like drilled into me to the point where if I'm running late to anything, I'll have a straight up panic attack. Well, sorry, the old me would have a straight up panic attack. Not necessarily because of that Marymount Manhattan professor, but it did have a lot to do with that. I mean, being publicly humiliated in front of your class, even if it's only 13 people, (laughs) that's not fun. And then when everybody else gets publicly humiliated, because everyone's eventually going to be late once, and then they get fucking annihilated verbally in front of everybody, you're like secretly like, but then it's like, well, that's not a good attitude to have. (laughs) Now we're all against each other. Anyway, I didn't realize I was late because I wrote down the wrong time and I didn't freak out. And I was like, good for you, Christina. You did not have a panic attack because you're 15 minutes late. I mean, that is just really fucking brave and big and bold. Yeah, you got to go to the David Lynch Foundation or just any other foundation. I believe that there's 100 Transcendental Meditation uh, foundations in the country, and it's a sliding scale. And I got to say, it can't hurt, and it will help. So that's all you need to know. You go, re- go do research for yourself. If this resonates with you, that's all I'm going to say about the experience. 
Because if this resonates with you while you're hearing this, go do your own research and figure out if this is something that would make sense in your life. I feel like it would, but if you don't give a shit, then you move on. That's what I'm going to start doing. I really over-explain shit because my mom looked at me weird when I was a kid and I never forgot it. <laughs> this other stuff happened too. But I, So I went to the second meditation class. I was late, didn't realize it until I got there, and then didn't have a panic attack. And I was, I just like hugged myself. Because I was like, good for you, Christina. Good for you. You're like, sorry. And then as I was walking home, I go, I got to get the vaccination. I got to get the vaccine. Why haven't I gotten it yet? Pure laziness. I just don't want to get up early. And then I have so much stuff on my to-do list. And then I say stuff like that. I say things like, I have so much stuff on my to-do list. And I'm so busy talking about how busy I am that I don't actually get anything done. And then I'm just spinning around my apartment with my fucking hair coming out. And it's just not a good scene. Anyway, that's why I haven't gotten vaccinated. I walked by one, a, a vaccine site that was close to me. And I was like, well, God damn it, I'm going to get my Moderna or whatever. I'm going to get one of the things. And then they had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Now, Johnson & Johnson, and I'm not going to say it allegedly, because they 100% did this, fucked up my mom's intestines. So you can go fuck yourself, Johnson & Johnson, however you thank you for developing a single-dose vaccine. I really appreciate it. But boy, did you put surgical mesh in women's bodies, and it fucked up their organs. And my mom was one of those people. And I know we're not on speaking terms, but I love her dearly, and I hate Johnson & Johnson for that. So fuck you for that. Okay? But I got the shot and it was it was easy breezy. That needle goes in deep, man. Woo! And it's in there for a while. However, I guess I'm not I, I'm supposed to encourage people. But I used to be afraid of needles to the point of having a panic attack. <laughs> if you don't know, I have I have some anxiety. Uh, and what I did to cure myself of my fear of needles. And I did this when I was like 13 or 14 because I would have to go to the ER a lot. Because there were a lot of times where I would just projectile vomit continuously for like 10 hours straight. And no, everyone was like, uh, are you okay? And I was so dehydrated that I needed to get an IV. And then I later found out, when I mean later, I mean a year ago, that it was because I grew up in an unstable home environment. My stomach was fucked up because it was expressing the feelings and emotions that my brain could not. <laughs> Crazy how that works, right? We'll get into that later. But I had to get all these IVs. So I was like, I need to make this work for myself. Because I can't be fucking freaking out every time a needle goes in me. So I'm going to pretend that I am a person who not only enjoys or not only doesn't isn't afraid and doesn't mind getting a needle, enjoys it, like really likes it. Not in a sexual way because I was a kid. Well, no, I was humping everything by that time, but not in a sexual way, in a way that I'm like, I'm I'm like stepped into a character. I was my own Sasha Fierce of getting needles in me. OK, we can't all be Beyonce. We want to be, but we can't. This is the only one. And that worked. I just convinced myself that I wasn't afraid of them, and then it worked. But I was like, well, this is my character that's not afraid of needles. Like, she's like a punk bitch. Not in, like, a pussy way, but in, like, a she's punk, and she's a fucking bitch. But in, in like, a I'll tell you how I feel kind of way. So the guy who gave me the Johnson & Johnson vaccine shot, he goes, what do you do for a living? Or he, first he asked me if I was afraid of needles, and I said, well, I used to be. And then I told him that whole story. And he was like, oh, that's weird. Okay. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm a weird kid. And then he's like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, here we go. Here we go. I'm a stand-up comedian. And then we had a long talk about that. 
which I really like. It makes talking to strangers, having a job that is truly one of the coolest jobs on the planet, makes talking to strangers really enjoyable because they're automatically fascinated by it. And I like that. Yeah, you like me off the bat. I'll take it. I don't care if it has, if it's just because of my occupation, I don't give a fuck. It is cool. I agree. Be my friend. Be nice to me. Please un- love me unconditionally, even though you don't know me. Thank you. So he, I, and I told him the thing about the needles. And I, the, uh, the other thing I said is I have to look at it because my character who loves getting stuck with needles has to see the needle go into the skin because that's the part she enjoyed. That's, I made that up. But uh, so part of my whole curing my fear of needles was to look every time I got an IV in my wrist or whatever. But this needle, uh, I didn't look because I was like, oh, this one goes in deep and it stays in for a while. And I don't want to watch that. So he goes, OK, look away. And then as he went to stick me, I go, tell me a joke. <laughs> I told him to tell me a joke just in case I got nervous. And then he told me he's like, oh, OK, this one's going to be dirty, though. And I'm like, oh, OK, but he wasn't that kind of guy. He was like a nice. I liked him a lot. I can usually tell if you're going to be a piece of shit or not. He was absolutely not. So that was my Johnson & Johnson experience. I just got the vaccine a couple hours ago. Feeling great. Got the card that everyone's posting on the gram. So I was like, that's cool. Now I can be a part of the cool people crowd. Yeah. So that's it. It didn't It didn't hurt. The actual needle didn't really hurt. It just felt a little funny. That's it. And trust me, if it hurt, I would tell you. Because your girl's a little punk-ass bitch in that I bitch and moan about shit. It, that's not even that painful. Barely. I'll drop something and say, ow. That's fucked up. So after I got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, they keep you 15 minutes just to make sure you don't croak. And I was like, that's good precaution. And so I was staying in the place for 15 minutes and I was obviously on Instagram. And my friend Aya uh, posted about a protest that was happening in 15 minutes a block away from where I was. And I was like, well, isn't this a fucking great day? I'm going to go protest to free Palestine. And it was beautiful. I went home, got my rollerblades, rollerbladed back to the protesting place. The protesting place, that's what it was called. And uh, it was beautiful. I fucking love marching for human rights in my beautiful city of New York. I really, it's one of the joys when people come together in support of, you know, the rights of other human beings and those people aren't all necessarily the ones getting affected by it. It's a it's a beautiful feeling of camaraderie and humanity and kindness and love. And I really loved it. And it was wonderful. And I, I've been researching what's happening in Israel or what's happening. Yeah. In Israel and Palestine. I've researched it a ton. And I've, I've been asking people about it. And I've been looking into, well, why does Israel think they're right? Why does Palestine think they're right? And what's hap- what's actually happening? Some of the information that I've gathered. Israel wasn't a fucking country that long ago. Didn't know that. Israel. Wait. I gotta Google this. How long ago did Israel become a country? I mean, not. not, And that's that's fine. That's fine. But it's part of my. Oh, wow. Okay. Apparently, Israel has been a country for 26,667 days. I don't need days. Okay, May 14th, 1948 was when Israel was established as a country. Israel was Palestine before that. Israel didn't exist until 1948. Okay. And then America, 
But one one of the facts, and I looked it up in many sources and it verified it. America, since 2020, has given Israel hundreds, over a hundred billion with a B, B as in boy, B as in butthole, B as in buh, over a hundred billion dollars to make their military all jacked up so that the America has a fucking presence in the midst of the Middle East, I guess, is is what I'm gathering. Now, I've not fully done all. I mean, there's still more research to do because I don't if uh, something if you're confused about it or if you're curious about it and you want to learn last week tonight, one of the best shows on television, HBO uh, hosted by John Oliver. It is a investigative journalism show uh, with the comedy is the spine. They do a really good episode on what's happening in Israel and Palestine. And basically. America is giving so much fucking money to Israel and Israel is bombing the shit out of Palestine and a lot of people in Palestine are dying. And Palestine, uh, uh, there's also rockets launched at Israel. A lot of them didn't make it to the target, which was good because I don't want anybody to die from a rocket. I would love it if no one threw a rocket at anybody. And I would also love it if no one died of rockets and bombs and guns and shit. Okay? But, you know... I really would love it if we could just give peace a chance. I mean, that's really my my opinion on it. But also, my God, it's what's happening in Palestine is terrible, and uh, and it's really fucked up. And I'm still learning about it, and I encourage you to learn about it. But I knew enough at that point where I felt very comfortable going to this protest because I was like, okay, I've really and my friend Aya gave me a lot of. She was like, hey, research both sides. Uh, here are some articles that I found helpful and I read them and I was like, these are very helpful. Thank you, girl. And I know a lot of friends that are Israeli and I know I know a lot of people that are Muslim and I know a lot of people whose family is in, in Palestine and it's fucked up. No one deserves to live life as if a bomb is about to hit them. That's terrible. And it's like, God damn it. I don't know what's at the bottom of this. It's probably money, you know, money and power like it is with everything. But my God, can we not bomb people? Let's ex nay on the bombs for the rest of forever. It's just fucked up. Um, I know it's give peace a chance. You know, it's a little, it's it's more complicated than that, of course. But I encourage you to look up, look it up, look it up. Had a lot of weird interactions with birds lately, and I know you might be thinking, "What?" I'm like, "Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you." First of all, I got hit on by a parrot. I got hit on by a parrot uh, at the Coppell Ford dealership in Queens, where I got my Mustang. Um, they have a parrot in a cage, and I've been to the dealership twice. Oh, you know, first time was an hour. The second time was four hours because there was a lot of paperwork involved, a lot of insurance, all this stuff. And uh, the first time I was there, I noticed I heard a, ah! and I'm like, is that a bird? And the guy's like, yeah, it's our parrot, Peaches. And I was like, whoa. And then I saw it and I wanted to play with it. But I was like, I don't think parrots. I don't think he likes me. So I just kept moving along. And then the next time I was there, when I was actually getting the card, I was there for a long time. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And one of the janitors, or was he a janitor? I don't know. He worked at he worked at the Ford play. Maybe he was a mechanic. I don't know. Either way, a person who worked there was like, oh, that, do, you, do you want, Peaches comes out of the cage sometimes. And I was like, does he fly? And they were like, no. Peaches did not have, a. he had some feathers on him, but he did not have some of, he was bald in places. And I was like, that, 
Looks like it hurts real bad. It is a bird. A parrot without feathers is just a giant booger with a beak, really. A parrot with feathers is just like majestic. Like, whoa, what am I in like Punta Cana? Like, this is crazy. But a parrot with no feathers? That's just a sad booger with a beak. So Peaches was in the middle of that. He was also 55 years old. And I was like, um, come again. This parrot's older than me. This parrot has a stronger sense of self than I. Anyway, uh, Peaches and I really got along well. It was like very clear from the beginning. So he came out of his cage. One of the guys that worked at the dealership was like, oh, I think he wants to hang out with you. And I was like, <laughs> of course he does, because I've been working on my shelf. And I feel like mm, he can tell. And so this parrot slid down the roof of his birdcage and kept going. <whistles> and I was like, <laughs> peaches, stop. And then he was like, <whistles> I can't really whistle low. But it was like he like kept going lower and lower. And I was like, peaches, you're like sexually attracted to me, I feel like. And I don't know. Him and I just hung out for an hour, but I bonded with this parrot. I bonded with this parrot. I've never had an experience like that with a a bird. And then not too long after that, I was uh, on Governor's Island. Actually, this might have been before the parrot. But either way, it was a weird interaction with a bird. Uh, A woman who listens to this podcast, uh, I was doing an interview with her, and she wanted wanted to take photos and interview me at a, a specific place. We went to Governor's Island which I want to fucking buy up and not put a Walmart on it, but I want to refurbish all those fucking gorgeous houses. Governor's Island is an amazing place. I cannot believe as a New Yorker, I've never been there before. There's all these, not abandoned, but like no one lives in them. Giant, gorgeous houses. And you're right in front of downtown Manhattan. It's, but you're an island. It's a wild place. So we were walking, I was walking with this woman and she was asking me questions and all of a sudden a seagull flies up in front of us and just drops this fish in front of us. And I was like, wait, what? That's weird, right? And sometimes stuff happens to me where I'm like, I don't know if that's weird or not because weird stuff happens to me so much. But it was so weird that I'm like, that's weird, right? And the woman was like, I've never seen that. What It was that? It was as if the seagull was giving me the fish almost in a way. Or that's just me being a narcissist. But my Pisces ass, bitch ass self, of course, had to throw the fish back in the water because it was just flopping. The seagull didn't kill it. He just dropped it. And I was like, well, that's stupid. Are you trying to make fish jerky? It was really hot out and it dropped it on the pavement. And then I tried to throw the fish back in the water and I was like, I looked over and I saw that there was at least 10 feet of rocks before you got to the water. And I was like, well, this this will be my luck. I'll throw this fucking poor fish. I'll throw this fish's ass over into the sea and it'll just land on the rocks and its eyeballs will fucking fall out and it'll just go (gasps) and I'll just have to watch it suffocate in front of me on the rocks because I couldn't throw it far enough. And then I was like, Christina, no, you won't you won't get to the ocean with that attitude. So I just closed my eyes and I said a prayer and I threw the fish in the ocean and it I'm, and I got it in the ocean. I was very proud of myself. So that was good. But yeah, weird interactions with birds lately. Is there a bird button on here? Let me see. Is there a bird button? No. No, it's a drum roll. That's not a bird. Ooh, ooh, that's inappropriate. That's a rocket. I didn't know what that was. Sorry, did not mean to be insensitive. 
I was watching CNN yesterday and there was a commercial. <laughs> First of all, everyone's allergies are not good. Every it feels to me, I don't really my allergies uh I don't usually like when spring springs I don't I don't usually get that aller allergic or you know like oh, sorry guys my allergies I don't usually do that. I used to when I was a kid but I got allergy shots. And I and I don't this year's no different. I I don't really feel it that much but everyone I know is having the worst allergy season of the goddamn life. And I'm like, what the fuck did these flowers do while we was inside? Where the bees like, humans don't deserve don't deserve a clear breathing track. And they just put more ball. I don't know. But there was a, anyway, there was an asthma medication or an allergy medication called Dupixent. There was a commercial for it on CNN yesterday. And one of the, you know, they go to a minute long rant about all the side effects of the medication. And there's like, 78 side effects and about one thing that it's supposed to do like one cure but then it's going to give you eight more diseases but who cares at least you cured that one thing you know and then you're just in this endless hamster wheel of diseases and pills anyway this commercial was for a med called Dupixent and then at the end of the whole you might die you might get diarrhea you might crash your car whoops it says do not take if you're allergic to Dupixent Huh? How do you know if you haven't taken it yet? That's like trying to get a restaurant job in Manhattan and they require you to have Manhattan restaurant experience and it's like, bro, someone's got to give it to me first for me to have it. So if I don't, I don't know if I'm allergic to Depixent until I take it. That's like, I'm not allowed to get a restraining order against my ex-husband until he kills me? Okay, cool. I'll, 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 I'll come to the precinct tomorrow after he bludgeons my head. Allergic to Depixent. Fuck out of here. I'll just have the allergies. I'm allergic to bullshit. That's what it is, Depixent. Suck my dick. All right. Speaking of dipshits, guys. Let's do some fuckboy theater. We're going to do a bio. We're going to read a bio. We're going to read a bio, you guys. Okay, so this bio was sent in to me by Natalie. Thank you so much. If you want to send me screenshots of a bio or a terrible conversation you've had with a man who can't really seem to have interactions, the voices in our heads podcast at gmail.com. So, okay, so I'm scrolling through. She sent me all these screenshots of this guy's profile. He's attractive, and that pisses me off. He's only 21. University of, he lives in the South. Uh, and there's a picture of him and his hot friend. Now, I will say, and I don't, you know I never want to be on the fuckboy side, but both friends in this picture are attractive, so I'm not mad. I can't say I hope he's not the ugly one, because there isn't an ugly one, and that's nice. Uh, and then the second picture is him playing guitar. He can go fuck himself. And then the third picture is him in a suit. That's nice. It's a handsome photo. And then his bio. This is his bio. And when it's a bio, that means it's the first thing that they want you to see and read and know about them. And his bio reads, I got a haircut. Six foot three. If your toes are not painted, do not talk to me. That was in all caps. Big time 
dollar sign vet investor. Do I know what that means? No. Do I give a shit? <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, so his profile, just so you know, it's a bunch of bullet points. The next bullet point reads, Wall Street is terrified of me. Ooh, I'm shaking in my boots, Ian. Mini hoop MVP. Avid chess player in all caps. Spelling bee champ. I feel like that's just a code for cocaine or something. Extremely high IQ. Clearly. I do not have to get naked for no tennis bracelet. Need 20 bands for a fucking anklet. Do I know what that means? No. Could it be a rap lyric? Maybe. High school per game stats. And then he lists his stats for whatever the fuck sport he played in high school. 2.7 points. 0.7 assists. And then he has emojis by all these, but I don't have the time or the energy or the care to tell you which ones they are. 1.8 rebounds. I guess it's basketball. 4.7 turnovers. 0.1 steals. 22% FG. 6.2% 3 PT. 36.4% 36.4% FT. And scene, motherfucker. Scene. 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 Yes, I did get a, a degree in acting. What the fuck does any of that mean? Now, you know, maybe there is somebody for everybody because maybe there's a lady out there who's also 21 or whatever and knows what the fuck these words mean. But I'll tell you, it's not me. It's not me. If you came out to the Kansas City shows, uh, one, I love you. Thank you so much. Two, Kansas City is not the shithole town I thought it was. And I realized that it, last time we were there was 2018, right after Craig and I broke up with our boyfriends. I was a miserable piece of shit. And I remember we were trying to find something to do. And the only thing we could find for some reason was an abandoned castle covered in graffiti. So we took an Uber to it and then we like looked around and we we're like, cool. And then there was like blood everywhere and needles and like people were definitely squatting there. And I was like, this sucks. Let's go back to the hotel room. And I re- that's what I remember of it. Well, I guess, you know, your energy really does attract like attracts like motherfuckers like attracts like because I wasn't in a bad uh, I was in a bad place and I attracted all bad things <laughs> like the shitty fucking bludgeoned castle. And so that's what I remember of my last Kansas City trip. And Corinne and I had quite the opposite time this time around. It was so much, it was, I wouldn't say so much fun, but it was way better than that. Like, way better. Plus, we're like way better. I mean, I'm way better at stand-up. Like, I've improved greatly. So, it was so the opposite of the last time we came. I will say I got off the plane to Kansas City, and they do one of those things, the airport, the airplane people. We're like, hey, you can't put your carry-on on there. We ought to check it. And I was like, okay, fine. That's actually fine because I don't want to – it's heavy. So I don't want to put it up in the thing. So perfect. And when you check your carry-on at the gate, you got to wait after you get off the plane for some guy with big headphones on to give you your bag. You don't have to go to baggage lane. You just get it right there. So I got off the plane, landed in Kansas City. I, I left the – like I, I went down the – got off the plane – Went down that little hallway where Delta's like, ooh, here are all the meals we offer. And they're not really that great. Like they have pictures of them blown up. And I I left, like I walked out into the actual airport and then I realized, oh, I forgot to get my suitcase. Walked back down that hallway and boy, you can't do that apparently. I got mammed so hard. This woman goes, ma'am, ma'am. I was like, bitch, if you fucking say that one more time. 
I just wa- I was like uh 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 uh. I hate when someone screams ma'am at me. Oh my god. Even if I bur- just birthed a baby and I enjoyed the it the entire time and somebody goes to hand me my baby and they go ma'am, I'd go you just ruined the birth of my child for me. I mean I'm being a little dramatic and when I say little I mean very. Who me? Yes you. Couldn't be. Then who? Well me. Oh my god, Kevin. Shakespeare, the dog upstairs, uh, hates his reflection. And there's a giant mirror in the lobby of my building. I live on the first floor, so my apartment is right against the lobby. And every time Shakespeare goes outside, he sees his reflection, and I guess it surprises him every time. He barks. Kevin barks. That's what you just heard. Anyway, I got mammed getting off the plane, and that, like, it made me pissed. And I was like, I need to get my bag. And she goes, ma'am, you can't get... And she... But the thing was... If she would have been like, hey, you can't, hey, I'm trying to think of an instance that she would use ma'am that I wouldn't fucking lose, not lose it. I didn't lose it, but it wouldn't annoy me. If she was like, ma'am, you can't do that. You just go to the badge claim. I don't know. If she would have said it like that, it would have been fine. But she was like, ma'am, ma'am. And I tried to explain to her that I needed my bag. And she goes, but but ma'am. And she wouldn't let me finish. And I was like, bitch, I'm going to punch you in the face. Airports fucking blow. And God damn it, if you work on an airline, Whoo, power to you because you deal with some shit. I can't believe whenever I see a stewardess in a good mood, I'm like, how? How? So the ma'am thing was, you know, but everything else about that trip was wonderful. Shout out to Arthur's Karaoke Bar in Kansas City, Missouri. That is a very special place. The last night of shows there, we went to Arthur's because the Uber driver the night before was like, you got to go to Arthur's. It is for people watching. It is incredible. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'm in. And we go. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. What a lovely fucking place. And Kansas City is in the middle of the country. And I do not like being in any place where there's only white people because that's never a good sign. Okay. It, it, it grosses me out. I hate it. Ugh. But in Kansas City was not like that, which I was very happy about. And in this karaoke bar, there was a mixture of people from everywhere. And I was like, wow. I like when my my brain goes to, oh, it's the middle of the country. It's the people got southern accents and they listen to country music. They're probably racist. Like your brain always tries to categorize everything. It's like a natural thing that the brain does. And then you got to go, oh, contraire, my friend. And there, it was just, a, there was all... Black, white, Asian, just everyone. And everyone was having a good time. There were fights. There were many fights. But those were alcohol-induced, and they were very entertaining to watch because no one actually got hurt that I, that we saw. But And there was a biker gang. I forget. What was the name of the biker gang? Oh, it was called Booze Hound. And I'm like, you can't you can't drink and ride a bike, guys. That's the whole name of your biker gang is, is, is alcohol-related? But you can't drink and drive. But anyway, there was a biker gang there that said booze hounds or booze something. Something with booze. And we, Corinne and I thought it was so funny. And I really enjoyed these people gave it their fucking all on this karaoke mic. And I was like, God damn. And everyone was so supportive. And you could tell some people were having like their five minutes of fame and they were fucking loving it and feeling themselves. And it was just nice to witness. It was really, it's a really wonderful place. So if you live in Kansas City, if you don't go there, go there. You, you deserve, you give yourself that. All right, I don't have time to get into the fact that I learned that some frogs have butt cheeks, but that will come later. 
I will say I'm in a place in my life right now, and I'm excited to get to. I'm gonna I'm gonna skim over and give you some parts that I really loved of Chapter Two of Letting Go: The Pathway of Surrender by David R. Hawkins. I highlighted a bunch of stuff, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. I am in a really good place. So I read this book, Letting Go, in addition to all a ton of books over quarantine. I read it, Letting Go. I finished it about like a couple weeks ago. And I've been do actively doing the things that it tells you. I know I'm going to read this book many more times. So I highly recommend you buy it or, or get the audiobook. Um, But I'm in a place where I feel like I, I feel really good, like genuinely really good. And I th- it's because I'm taking charge of my goddamn life. I quit smoking. That wasn't just me just sitting around going, I hope, I hope smoke, I hope cigarettes stop coming up to my mouth. No, I had to actively make an effort to stop. And I did it. And I got a car that I'm honored to drive that is so enjoyable and so much fun to drive. And I have the dog of my dreams and I live in one of the best cities ever. And I'm just so happy. Like I was driving the Mustang the other day and Kevin was on my lap and I was driving around Manhattan just because I wanted to drive. And I was I was driving past the World Trade, the um, One World Trade Tower or whatever it's called. Right by the 9-11 holes. That's what I call them because it's a very uncomfortable thing that happened. It's a lot of deaths. But anyway, I drove by the 9-11 holes and by the world, uh, One World Trade. And I was like, God damn. I looked at my car. I looked at my steering wheel and I looked down at Kevin in my lap. And I was like, I live in New York fucking city. city. I'm a stand-up comedian for a living. I'm driving a 2020 Mustang in Manhattan. And I look down and I, I look at Kevin and I go, I start crying. I go, I'm the person I wanted to be. I did not even know I wanted to be this person. This is better than the person I wanted to be. One of the things I used to say to myself when I was a kid, when I was like a little girl, like six, seven, I would, I wouldn't say this to anybody else, but I remember thinking this to myself a lot. I was like, when I'm an adult, I'm going to wear a dress every single day. Cause I was like, wow, when you're an adult, you can just do what you want. And if you want to wear a really nice dress every single day, you can. And that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. I'm going to wear a dress every single day. You're going to open my closet. And it's just going to be all these dresses. That's what I thought adulthood was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But and, uh, one of the things that this book, Letting Go, says, and a lot of the books that I've been reading, this, I, and I like when uh, different authors kind of echo a similar sentiment. I like that because it really, it helps nail in that thought even more, even harder, that idea. When you start to change, people around you know, they, they notice it and they'll tell you. Your friends will tell you. You might, you're not going to notice that you're changing right away because the things that fucked you up in your head they're gone, so you're not thinking about them. So you're not like, oh, I've changed because I've let this go because you're not thinking about the thing you let go. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you follow? What are you doing? Your spreadsheets? Just take a break. I'm so, oh my God. I, I Other people have started to notice. So I, I've been reading that I'm allegedly going to you know, start hearing people say I look younger than I am or I look like really vibrant or something's changed or something's different or did you get a haircut or something's different about you, you know, in a positive way. And my, God damn it, people have been saying that to me. And I was like, well, shit, fucking Peach is the parrot. He made me feel seen. He sensed that I was working on myself. I was hanging out with people at uh, the stand last night, a bunch of my comedy friends. I was like, you know what? I'm actually in the mood to be social. And I had wonderful conversations with a variety of people. And a lot of them told me, you look so, you seem very different. Like you seem so happy. And I was like, well, God damn it. Thank you. Cause I am. 
And I posted these pictures that a photographer took at a stand-up show I did a couple days ago. And someone commented and said that, oh my God, why are you glowing? And I was like, thank you for noticing I'm glowing because I feel good on the inside. Thank you so much. So what I want for you, the listener, is to feel good on the inside if you don't already because you ha- it's possible. It is very possible and it's, it's not as hard as you think. So that's my mission in addition to convincing you that death is fake and time is some bullshit. Okay, let me read this really quick magical email before I get to the letting go. Um, just one, just one, just one. But keep sending them to me, the Voices in Our Heads podcast at gmail.com. The email address is in the description of every single episode of the podcast, so don't worry. You don't got to write it down. It'll be there. It'll be on your phone. Subject line is, my grandmother's spirit reunited our family through a dream. Oh, that sounds nice. So I haven't read this email. I just copy and pasted it. So you can get my reaction as we read it along together. Aren't I so cool? Hi, Christina and Kevin. Kevin, she says hi. Are you shitting on the floor? God damn it. I have a crazy story that I've been thinking about sending you, and I just heard you read a friend of mine's story. I didn't know she had submitted it, but I immediately recognized it when you started reading her email, her seeing uh, a ghost of the old man's wife in the restaurant. Oh, that, that story was so cool. Yo, that story was fucking, oh, that story made me so happy. And it inspired me to get some details refreshed by my mom on this story so I could share it with you. A little background info. My uncle, my mom's brother, had two sons with his first wife about 10 to 15 years before any of the rest of us cousins were born. Unfortunately, it wasn't a good relationship. Him and his wife separated and my uncle moved out of state for work and became a trucker. At some point, his now ex, who unfortunately had a lot of issues and made some terrible life choices, decided to take their kids, both toddlers at this time, and put them up for adoption. Because apparently she had met a new man that she wanted to run off with and start a new life with. I didn't know all the details, but for whatever reason, my uncle wasn't able to get custody in time slash didn't even know this was happening and they were entered into a closed adoption in another state. Oh, gosh. This was back in the 80s. He lost all contact with his kids from that point on. And this was such a traumatic experience for our family that it was never talked about. And I didn't even know these cousins existed until what I'm about to tell you next. In 2011, about one year after my grandmother, my mom's mom, passed away, My mom receives a phone call from the funeral home saying that someone had reached out to them trying to get connected with someone from our family. This person had found the obituary for my grandmother and had an interesting story to go along with it. They gave my mom a phone number and she called. The person who was trying to reach out was my uncle's son's wife. Ah, uncle's son's who ended up getting adopted in another state. That son's wife because he's a grown-ass man now. She said that she had seen my grandmother in a dream. Oh, weird. And she didn't even, that wife didn't even know her. How could they know? She said that she had seen my grandmother in a dream. She obviously did not know who she was. Her husband had no relationship with her and probably has no memory of her because he was so young when he was put up for adoption. When she, she woke up, she felt she needed to find this woman because she knew it had to do with her husband's birth family. All that, all that the adoption agency would release to them was my uncle's name, so she searched for it, found my grandmother's obituary, saw her photo, and immediately recognized her from the dream. Okay, so it was the grandma in the dream. This dream made a connection that allowed my uncle and the rest of our family to be reunited with his sons that he traumatically and unjustly lost so long ago. 
I believe my grandmother came to my cousin's wife because she was probably more open to receiving the message and she would actually try to find our family. That's fucking awesome. Yo, spirits know. It's crazy that it took my grandmother passing over to the spirit world and gaining this ability to communicate in the dream space with my cousin's wife, who she knew nothing about in life, in order to reconnect her sons with her grandson, her son with her grandsons. Truly some next level spiritual shit I could not make up. Thanks for sharing all these stories. I love listening to them and probably I will probably be sending another crazy story about some dreams I personally had more recently, but I'll save it for another time. Girl, yes, please email me. P.S. I'm a Patreon subscriber. Thanks for everything you do. Well, thank you for being a Patreon subscriber. So this week, I haven't released any bonus episodes yet, and it's already almost the end of the month, but I'm doing Letting Go. I'm doing a deep dive. The bonus episodes uh, for this month, the two that I'm going to release are, I'm skipping around, obviously, this book. But for the bonus episodes, I'm going to cover parts of this book that I'm not covering on the regular episodes. So you get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of for the Patreon. That's this month. Next month, I'm actually driving down to uh, Pennsylvania uh, because next month for one of the Patreon bonus episodes, I'm going to interview my brother, my brother DJ. I'm very excited about that. I'm I'm, I'm driving down on Friday. All right, let's get into it, baby. Letting go, the pathway of surrender. We're going we're gonna to take some gems from this. From chapter two, the mechanism of letting go. This is a very important chapter because it's what this fucking book's goddamn all about. What is it? What is letting go? Letting go is like the sudden cessation of an inner pressure or the dropping of a weight. It is accompanied by a sudden feeling of relief and lightness with an increased happiness and freedom. It is an actual mechanism of the mind, and everyone has experienced it on occasion. So, guys, this is very important. The mechanism of letting go is a psychological mechanism that every human being's brain is capable of doing. Okay? And look, uh, and he gives an example about have you ever been in a fight with somebody and then all of a sudden it's like absurd to you when you start laughing? And I'm like, yo, I fucking absolutely remember those times. Because when you are heated and you're fighting with somebody, it's only happened to me about twice. But I have been fighting, I think it was with Steven probably, and I was fucking screaming at him. And then I realized how ridiculous I was being and I started laughing, which is so, especially at the time was very unlike me because I was goddamn stubborn and I was going to hold on to being right. Because if I wasn't right, I'd be dead. And so if you've ever experienced that where you're in this heated thing and then something happens or something clicks or something shifts and you start laughing, it feels like a hundred pound brick is being removed from your shoulders. It is why I do stand up comedy. It is why I have this podcast. I cannot tell you how valuable laughter is of a release of a release. So that's just one example of, of a, the way letting go could work. Um, you come up from anger, fear, and feeling attacked to feeling suddenly free and happy. This is in an instance where you're fighting and then all of a sudden you realize you're being absurd and you start laughing. Think how great it would be if you could do that all of the time, in any place, and with any event. You could always feel free and happy and never be cornered by your feelings again. Oh, don't tease me with a good time, Daddy Hawkins. Do not tease me with a good time. I will take you up on that. That is what this technique is all about. Letting go consciously and frequently at will. You can let go all the time. You could be walking down the street. Let it go. You're in line at the grocery store and someone's being a dick in front of you. Let it go. 
If we take a close look at human life, we see that it is essentially one long, elaborate struggle to escape our inner fears and expectations that have been projected upon the world. Ooh, who's got their dick in their hand? Fun. Isn't life fun? Guys, look around. Hell is a place and it's earth. Okay? But we have the ability of escaping hell by clearing up what's inside our heads. Thoughts in and of themselves are painless, but not the feelings that underlie them. It is the accumulated pressure of feelings that causes thoughts. I'll repeat that again. It is the accumulated pressure of feelings that causes thoughts. It triggers thoughts. It makes thoughts happen. It's really important for you to understand how the brain works and to realize that we're wired to survive. And that some of this bullshit that gets stirred around in our head, guys, like this anxiety, deep, deep, deep down, and not even that deep down for a lot of us, it is our brain trying to survive. And we got to go, whoa, 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 you piece of shit brain. I mean, you're not a piece of shit. You're actually a very brilliant device that I don't know who made you, but thank you. Appreciate it. But once you learn how your brain works, then you can overcome it. Because you can go, brain, we're not actually in danger, boo. You're getting triggered. It's okay. And then the brain goes, and then you shit on the floor, and then you keep going. That's basically what this book is about. One feeling, for instance, can create literally thousands of thoughts over a period of time. Think, for instance, of one painful memory from early life, one terrible regret that has been hidden. Look at all, uh, look at all the years and years of thoughts associated with that single event. If we could surrender the underlying painful feeling, all of those thoughts would disappear instantly and we would forget the event. Well, now that's something, huh? The great value of knowing how to surrender is that any time, is that any and all feelings can be let go of at any time in any place in an instant. And it can be done continuously and effortlessly. Well, thank God, because you know what, Daddy Hawkins, I need some stuff to go well in my life in terms in terms of like I need to try stuff and have it be easy. That's like the theme for this month for me because the transcendental meditation coach was like, it's easy. No effort. If you start thinking too much, you're doing it wrong. To be free of inner conflict and expectations is to give others in our life the greatest freedom. It allows us to experience the basic nature of the universe, which it will be discovered is to manifest the greatest good possible in a situation. Now think about that. If you free others around you from expectations, I didn't realize how many expectations I had of mainly the guys I fucked, but also friends and family. I expected things of them. And I thought that that's how you were supposed to operate in the world. Like I thought you're, you know, it's, it's one thing to expect to be treated with respect, for example. That's, that's, that's a fair one. But, you know, like a guy that I would start to have feelings for, because that's where all your bullshit always pops up. I would expect them to contact me more and I wouldn't say anything. I would just sit there and get mad at it. Well, not it, him. And then I realized, oh, I can release all my expectations of this person. That doesn't mean I'm going to get treated like a piece of shit. Well, it might, but I don't have to tolerate that. I can go, hey, we're not friends anymore. Bye. But... If you just release having any expectations, you won't be disappointed. (laughs) It's really true. We have three major ways of handling feelings. Number one, suppression and repression. In repression, this happens unconsciously. In suppression, it happens consciously. We don't want to be bothered by feelings. And besides, we don't know what else to do with them. 
Well, you just put them in a jar and stick them up your butthole, I guess. We sort of suffer through them and try to keep functioning as best we can. That's what you could call the last 33 years of my goddamn life. The feelings that we select to be suppressed and repressed are in accord to the conscious and unconscious programs that we carry within us from social custom and family training. The pressure of suppressed feelings is later felt as irritability, mood swings, check, check, tension in the muscles of the neck and back, check, 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 headaches, cramps, check, menstrual disorders, check it, check, 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 bitch, colitis, don't have that, indigestion, insomnia, hypertension, allergies, (laughs) don't take allergy medication if you're allergic to it, and other semantic conditions. When we repress a feeling... It is because there is so much guilt and fear over the feeling that it is not even consciously felt at all. Guys, this is how our brain works. Sometimes if a feeling's too intense, because my therapist always says to me when you're a kid and you deal with trauma, if you're if you see your dad beat the shit out of your mom when you're five, for example, you your five year old nervous system cannot handle the fact that you are witnessing your parents that are supposed to be responsible for food, shelter, clothing and love are doing that to each other in front of you. So your your brain goes, we didn't see that. And it pushes it down. Maybe it restructures it. Maybe it repitches it in your head. Or maybe it just, you black out that memory altogether. And that is your nervous system knowing that, Houston, if Christina sees this and takes it in and actually feels it, she's going to die over. So we're just going to put that in the blackout bin. Don't worry. She'll have shitty romantic relationships later in life and then she'll eventually figure it out. Over. See ya. So that's what happens. Of these mechanisms used by the mind to keep feelings repressed, denial and projection are perhaps the best known methods. Ooh, don't you know I love me some denial and projection. And I'm not talking about having a movie theater in your backyard. No, 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 ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about yelling at people for shit that you do. Isn't that fun? Yeah, it happens all the time. Denial results in major emotional and, and, and natural maturational blocks. Okay, second time's a charm. Fuck you. It is usually accompanied by the mechanism of projection. Because of guilt and fear, we repress the impulse or feeling and we deny its presence within us. Instead of feeling it, we project it into the world and those around us. Remember when I said like attracts like? Well, that's all over these pages. Uh, We experience the feeling as if it belonged to them. They then become the enemy and the mind searches for and finds justification to reinforce the projection. I mean, God, it's oh, I fucking did that so much. I would get mad at people for shit that I was doing or or for having traits that I was afraid I had. And a lot of us do that and we shouldn't. So fuck you. Love you. Um, Okay, another way um, of handling feelings. Expression. That sounds good. Now. Uh, I had to listen to this paragraph over and over again because basically everything I've been doing with this podcast, he pretty much says, don't do that. And I was like, oh, oops. Expression. With this mechanism, the feeling is vented, verbalized, or stated in body language and acted out in endless group demonstrations. The expression of negative feelings allows just enough of the inner pressure to be let out so that the remainder can be suppressed. So it's not all roses, bitch. This is a very important point to understand. For many people in society today, believe the, that expressing their feelings frees them from the feeling. Wait, it doesn't? The facts are to the contrary. Oh, fuck. The expression of a feeling first tends to propagate that feeling and give it greater energy. 
Oh, oopsie poopsies. Second, the expression of the feeling merely allows the remainder to be suppressed out of awareness. Oh, well, that's probably not good, right? The balance between suppression and expression varies in each individual, depending on the early training, current cultural norms and mores, and the media. Ooh, media. Expressing oneself is now in vogue as a result of a misunderstanding of the work of Sigmund Freud and psychoanalysis. Oh, oops. Freud pointed out that suppression was the cause of neurosis. Therefore, expression was mistakenly thought to be the cure. Shit, it's not. This misinterpretation became a license for self-indulgence at the cost of others. Well, I got to... Well, so you basically just described my podcast. What Freud actually said in classic psychoanalogy, uh, psychoanalysis, was that the repressed impulse or feeling was to be neutralized, sublimated, socialized, and channeled into constructive drives of love, work, and creativity. Oh, well, not channeling creativity, basically, but I also just talk it out until I figure out what the fuck's going on. I still don't fucking know, so one day I will. If we dump our negative feelings on others, they experience it as an attack, and they, in turn, are forced to suppress, express, or escape the feelings. Therefore, the expression of negativity results in the deterioration or destruction of relationships. That was my last one. (laughs) I'm not kidding. A far better alternative is to take responsibility for our own feelings and neutralize them. Then only positive feelings remain to be expressed. Oh, okay. So he's basically saying if you have negative feelings, it seems like the way to express them is through love and work and shit like good things. Not just going, hey, how are you today, Christina? And then you just yell for an hour about how about how you about how you're mad. And the other way that we deal with feelings, number three, escape. Oh, you girl familiar with that one. (laughs) Okay. Escape is the avoidance of feelings through diversion. Yeah, I know. Don't worry. I'm real good at it. This avoidance is the backbone of the entertainment and liquor industries. (laughs) And Christina's house. And also the uh, the root of the workaholic. Escapism and avoidance of inner awareness is a socially condoned mechanism. Yeah, because everyone's like, ooh, you workaholic. He's such a bad bitch. And then she's like, I'm fine. No, I don't need to rest. Sleep is for weak people. (laughs) I'm going to jump off a bridge. We can avoid our own inner selves and keep our feelings from emerging by an endless variety of pursuits, many of which eventually become addictions as our dependency upon them grows. Ah, I don't know anything about that. (laughs) People are desperate to stay unconscious. We observe how often people flick on the television set the minute they enter the room and then walk around in a dreamlike state, constantly being programmed by the data poured into them. People are terrified of facing themselves. (sighs) Yep. They dread even a moment of aloneness. Well, not anymore, well, for me. Thus, the constant frantic activities, the endless socializing, talking, texting, reading, music playing, working, traveling, sightseeing, shopping, overeating, gambling, movie going, pill taking, drug using, and cocktail partying. Well, that feels personal. All those things are very fun, so fuck you. Feelings and stress. The real source of stress is actually internal. I repeat, the real source of stress, it's internal. It's inside you, bitch. Not out there. It is not external, as people would like to believe. The readiness to react with fear, for instance, depends on how much fear is already present. 
uh, is already present within to be triggered by a stimulus. In other words, if something spooky happens and you're walking around fucking afraid of everything anyway because something else had happened, you're going to go, ah! Well, you probably go do something a little more than that. But if I did not have a lot of fear inside of myself and someone went boo, that's a bad way to put it. Let's just read what the author wrote because he's an author for a reason. The more fear we have on the inside... The more our perception of the world is changed to be a fearful, guarded expectancy. To the fearful person, the world is a terrifying place. To the angry person, the world is a chaos of frustration and vexation. To the guilty person, it is a world of temptation and sin, which they see everywhere. That sounds fun. What we are holding inside colors our world. If we let go of guilt, we will see innocence. However, a guilt-ridden person will only see evil. Well, see, the thing is, I see, I'm so guilty because it's my mom's stuff, but I don't really see evil a lot. Whatever. The basic rule is that we focus on what we have repressed. Stress results from the accumulated pressure of our repressed and suppressed feelings. Okay? So, it's not what's happening around you. It's what's happening inside of you. And I'm not talking about sex. Haven't had it in a while. I heard it's great. Whatever. I'm happy for you if you're having it. No, I'm happy for you. Okay, the mechanism of letting go. This is the last section I'm going to read for this episode. And then I'll get more detail-oriented on the Patreon. And then next week, we'll also talk about this book. So don't worry. You don't have to pay money to get the lessons learned. The mechanism of letting go. Letting go involves being aware of a feeling, letting it come up, staying with it, and letting it run its course without wanting to make it different or do anything about it. Okay? The effortlessness of experiencing a feeling is very important. That's why I do feel your feelings January, motherfuckers. Don't escape with the weed, Christina. Okay, fine. But sit with your fucking feelings. I'm going to read that part again because this is very this this is what the whole fucking book is about. Letting go involves being aware of a feeling, letting it come up, staying with it, and letting it run its course without wanting to make it different or do anything about it. Because when you resist that shit, guess what? It gets worse. It means simply to let the feeling be there and to focus on letting out the energy behind it. The first step is to allow yourself to have the feeling without resisting it, venting it, fearing it, condemning it, or moralizing about it. Just shut the fuck up and feel it, Christina. Okay, rude. But it's true. It means to drop judgment and to see that it is just a feeling. Feelings aren't facts, but they are clues, motherfucker. They are clues. Sit with it. The technique is to be with the feeling and surrender all efforts to modify it in any way. So you got to feel it and you have to not want to do anything about it. Just feel it. Just feel it, you bitch. Let go of wanting to resist the feeling. It is resistance that keeps the feeling going, you bitch. When you give up resisting or trying to modify the feeling, it will shift to the next feeling and be accompanied by a lighter sensation, you bitch. A feeling that is not resisted will disappear as the energy behind it dissipates, you bitch. As you begin the process, you will notice that you have fear and guilt over having feelings. Now that is very hurtful and true. There will be resistance to feelings in general. To let feelings come up, it is easier to let go of the reaction to having the feelings in the first place. Now, I don't know about you, but boy, 
was there 800 layers added to all the feelings I felt because I was like, now I'm a stupid ass bitch who feels sad. Well, that's stupid. And so me commenting on having a feeling, it just made it worse. And 33 years later, I figured it out. But hey, better late than never. A fear of fear itself is a prime example of this. Let go of the fear or guilt that you have about this feeling first and then get into the feeling itself. When letting go, ignore all thoughts. I repeat, when letting go, ignore all thoughts. Focus on the feeling itself, not the thoughts. Thoughts are endless and self-reinforcing, and they only breed more thoughts. Thoughts on thoughts on thoughts, you bitch. Let go, you bitch. Letting go, you bitch. That's going to be the title. Let go, you bitch. That's going to be the title. Thoughts are merely rationalizations of the mind to try and explain uh, the presence of the feeling. Oh, God, human beings. You know what? Sometimes I go, oh, humans, we're crazy. The real reason for the feeling is the accumulated pressure behind the feeling that is forcing it to come up in the moment. The thoughts or external events are only an excuse made up by the mind. So if so, for example, when you get triggered by something, it could be that, you know, Joe Schmo walks by in a blue sweatshirt. That could be a trigger for you. and You don't even know it. And then all of a sudden you start acting real fucking mad and you're like, Joe Schmo, Schmo is a piece of shit. And you don't really know why you're saying that. Well, it's because you're mad at something that's old, bitch. You bitch. As we become more familiar with letting go, it will be noticed that all negative feelings are associated with our basic fear related to survival and that all feelings are merely survival programs that the mind believes are necessary. But you got to go, oh, mind, you crazy. It's not necessary. The uh, the letting go technique undoes the programs progressively. Through that process, the underlying motive behind the feelings becomes more and more apparent. So we all have the answers inside ourselves, you bitch. To be surrendered means to have no strong emotions about a thing. It is okay if it happens, and it is okay if it doesn't. When we are free, there is a letting go of attachments. And that's such a better way to live. Because I thought too, for example, when I I got my Mustang, One of the first things I thought was, oh, fuck, I hope no one crashes into it. (laughs) What a fun thought, right? And then I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, you bitch. Look, you got the insurance. You got a garage spot because you waited until you can get a garage spot. If someone fucks up my car, I'll get it fixed and it's okay. It's okay. Maybe that's not a good example. But I I, I talked myself through that. And I was like, stop, Christina. Uh, So I don't walk around with like, oh, someone going to hit my car. And probably subsequently, because I no longer walk around thinking that, probably no one's going to hit my car. When we are free, there is a letting go of attachments. We can enjoy a thing, but we don't need it for our happiness. Because, spoiler alert, when you need something for your happiness, or especially when you need a person for your happiness, that's codependency. You're in for a rocky road. And I'm not talking about the chocolate kind. There is progressive diminishing of dependence on anything or anyone outside of ourselves. Ooh, sign me up, bitch. These principles are in accord with the basic teaching of of the Buddha to avoid attachment to worldly phenomena, as well as the basic teachings of Jesus Christ to, quote, be in the world, but not of it. Be in the world, but not of it. All right. Well, I don't really know what that means, but you get it. Sometimes we surrender a feeling and we notice it returns or continues. This is because there is more of it yet to be surrendered. We have stuffed these feelings all of our lives and there can be a lot of energy pushed down that needs to come up and be acknowledged when we uh, when surrender occurs there is an immediate lighter happier feeling almost like a high and i will say it does feel like a high the results of letting go are deceptively quick and subtle but the effects are very powerful 
Often we have let go but think we haven't. It will be our friends who will make us aware of the change. One reason of this phenomenon is that when something fully sur- is fully surrendered, it disappears from consciousness. Now, because we never think of it, we don't realize that it is gone. This is a common phenomenon among people who are growing in consciousness. We are not aware of it all. Uh, we are not aware of all the coal that we have shoveled. We are always looking at the shoveled, at the shovelful we are handling right now. We don't realize how much the pile has gone down. Often our friends and family are the first ones to notice. To keep track of progress, many people keep a chart of their gains. This helps to overcome the resistance that usually takes form. This isn't working. Is common for people who have made enormous gains to claim. It just isn't working. We have to remind ourselves sometimes that we were like uh, what we were like before we started this process. Um, you know what? Let me t- let me just let me just yeah. Okay, let me just read this. Letting go of negative feelings is the undoing of the ego, which may uh, which will be resistant at every turn. This may result in skepticism about the technique, forgetting to surrender, a sudden upsurge of escapism or venting feelings by expressing and acting out. The solution is simply to keep on letting go of the feelings you have about the whole process. Let the resistance be there, but don't resist the resistance. I repeat, do not resist the resistance. Letting go is a natural ability. It is not something new or foreign. It is not an esoteric teaching or somebody else's idea or a belief system. We are merely utilizing our own inner nature to get freer and happier. When letting go, it is not helpful to think about the technique. It's better simply just to do it. Eventually, it will be seen that all thoughts are resistance. They are all images in the mind. They are all images that the mind has made to prevent us from experiencing what actually is. When we have been letting go for a while and have begun experiencing what is really going on, we will laugh at our thoughts. Thoughts are fakes, absurd make-beliefs that obscure the truth. Pressuring thoughts can keep us occupied endlessly. Don't I know it, Daddy Hawkins. Don't I know it. We will discover that one day... uh, We will discover one day that we are right where we started. Thoughts are like goldfish in a bowl. The real self is like the water. The real self is the space between the thoughts, or more exactly, the field of silent awareness underneath all thoughts. We have had the experience of being totally absorbed in what we were doing when we were scarcely noticing the passage of time. The mind was very quiet and we were simply doing what we were doing without resistance or effort. We felt happy, maybe humming to ourselves. We functioned without stress. We were very relaxed, although busy. We suddenly realized that we never needed all those thoughts after all. Thoughts are like bait to a fish. If we bite at them, we get caught. It's best not to bite at the thoughts. We don't need them. <laughs> you know what makes me think of? Fucking social media. It's just, social media is just so, it's just all thoughts. Like, oh, she has those tits. Oh, cool. I know I'm happy for her. Like, it's just, especially if you're a woman, the comparing. Oh, my God. It's all thoughts. It's all bullshit. So, make sure to turn your notifications off at night and don't look at Instagram all damn day. Inside of us, But out of awareness is the truth that I already know everything I need to know. This happens automatically. Paradoxically, one one resistance to surrendering is due to the effectiveness of the technique. What happens is that we keep letting go when life is not going too well and we are beset by unpleasant emotions. As we finally surrender our way out of it and all is well, then we stop letting go. This is a mistake because as good as we may feel, there is usually more to it. Take advantage of the higher state's 
and the momentum of letting go. Keep on going because it will be better and better all the time. Letting go gains a certain momentum. It is easy to keep it going once it's started. The higher we feel, the easier it is to let go. That's a good time to reach down and let go of some things, suppressed and repressed garbage that we wouldn't want to tackle if we were in the dumps. There is always a feeling to be let up and surrendered. When we are feeling good, the emotions are merely subtler. Sometimes you will feel stuck with a particular feeling. Simply surrender to the feeling of being stuck. Just let it be there and don't resist it. If it doesn't disappear, see if you can let go of the feeling in bits and pieces. Another block that may occur is the fear that if we let go of a desire of something, we won't get it. It is often beneficial to look at some commonly held beliefs and let go of them right in the beginning, such as, we, don't, uh, we only deserve things through hard work, struggle, sacrifice, and effort. Now, that one was tough for me at first because I was like, wait, but that's true. No, let that shit go, boo-boo. I'm going to repeat it. We only deserve things through hard work, struggle, sacrifice, and effort. Get rid of that idea, guys. Get rid of that idea. Number two, this is another thing that we should let go. Suffering is beneficial and good for us. Yeah, not really. Number three, we don't get anything for nothing. Number four, things that are very simple aren't worth much. Yeah, it turns out that's not true. Letting go of some of these psychological barriers to the technique itself will allow an enjoyment of its effortlessness and ease. I mean, good God. So that was me skipping around chapter two of letting go, the pathway of surrender. And I will say, out of all the books I've read, this one is my favorite so far because you get to know about yourself, you understand your bullshit, and then you got to fix it. Well, this book to me is how you fix it. Like, that's how you fix it. So... I love you so much, guys. Please, if you have it in you, subscribe to my Patreon. The link is in the description of this podcast. I love you. Have a great week. Congrats on not killing yourself. I'll talk to you next week.